Hello and welcome to the Classic Gamers Guild podcast. I am Rick. And I am Paul. And our guest this week is an artist and animator who worked at Sierra Online in the mid to late 90s, as well as many other games including Digimon Rumble Arena 2, Shadowrun, and more recently Hero U, which at the time of recording is now only $20 on GOG, Steam, and the Humble Store. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Al, and welcome to the show. It's good to be here, boys. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I, I went a little omnipotent again on you. All right, I'll, I'll kick off a, a first question for you, mate. Um, I was curious about many things, but to start with, um, Rogue to Redemption, obviously, that's kind of the, the latest, greatest project that you've worked on. I enjoy it immensely, recommend it to absolutely everyone. Um, and I was just wondering, you know, really kind of just a blanket question of what were some of the best parts of, of working on it for you and what sort of challenges did it bring, etc. Uh, well, it was interesting because I'd never actually worked with the Coles before. I was only in the Oakhurst office uh, of Sierra for a year and uh, the Seattle area office for three years. So I, I don't think I even never met the Coles in person, to be honest. Um, but uh, it's definitely been a privilege to work with them in terms of uh, picking their brains about game design and RPGs in general, which admittedly are not my forte. I've never it's not that i don't enjoy playing them it's it's that i i don't have the time to invest quite often so how did you get onto hero you then well i was working with chris willis who's another former sierra artist and we were doing our own indie project called zombie heat which lasted you know two seconds in the apple store <laughs> once we got it done um but he was he was picking up a little extra you know he's working a little extra on hero you and uh, he he'd been talking to me that about the possibility of animating on it, and he'd been saying that he'd mentioned me to the Coles and that they would eventually get a hold of me. And, and at one point, he pointed me to a video they'd posted on YouTube. And uh, you know, once I kind of saw the quality of the work they were getting, animation-wise, <laughs> I said, you know, have them contact me as soon as possible if you will if you will <laughs> and a strong so kinda, sense of urgency well yeah i mean i kind of <laughs> suggested hey you know um i basically told them i know you're on a budget and i realized you're you kind of lowballed some of the stuff you're you know you've been getting back but even still uh there's a lot of you're gonna get a lot of comments about this if you don't you know fix certain things and so I kind of, uh, I mean, it was, it was okay by them, I guess, but it, it was, I almost kind of felt like I got on the project prematurely, as in sooner than they expected me to be on there. But that's okay. I was able to take control of, you know, several things that, um, actually several critical things that might, have, might not have gone right. Not to suggest that the people who were working on it were unprofessional in any way, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, there's always, uh, you know, you lose a lot of quality control outsourcing things, essentially. So you became the lead animator on Hero U. Yeah, lead slash soul. Soul, okay. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> soul is lead. You're you're leading. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was the, what was it like? What was the experience like working on Hero U with the Coles? Uh, it was quite interesting. I mean, not everyone in the group was a, a seasoned professional, and so the way certain things were being done. Uh, we all kind of had to reel, reel in our, or check our, our processes at one point or another. 
Um, because, like, for example, I wasn't that experienced with Unity. And so there, there were a bunch of things going on under the hood that I had no idea about, and, you know, until, you know, it came up with something else. And fortunately, there weren't any major stumbling blocks on my end, but there were definitely some things I had to go, oh, wait, I have to change my thinking about this and do it another way. So it was, it was educational, and you hope to learn something from every project you work on, ideally. So how did you, uh, so, so going back, going back to, uh, I guess pretty close to the beginning, I suppose. Uh, how did you get into Sierra? What was the first game you worked on there? So I was going to art school in New Jersey. That would be the art school of art, which is still around and a lot more improved since I was going there. And um, a couple years before I was due to graduate, they had hired several people out of, out of the school. I mean, Sierra had, uh, because multimedia was taking off, multimedia being, you know, the old terminology for pretty much everything you see today, games on CD-ROM, you know, enhanced gra enhanced graphics, although at the time, obviously, they weren't as enhanced by today's standards. Um, and so they'd hired people like uh, Karen Nestor and Mark Hudgens and several others. And a couple of years later, they were looking to hire more, and so the vet, you know, the our fellow cookies, as we called ourselves, uh, contacted the school again and said, hey, you know, send us some uh, recommendations for students because we're, you know, really, they were really actually starting up their, pumping up their CD-ROM games at the time. This was 1994. Hmm. That's right, yeah. Around that yeah, era, like been, the mid-90s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was 1994. I'd been freelancing around New York for you know, better part of a year. Worked on a slick Rick music video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so with that video and with my samples from school, I managed to snag an interview at Sierra, flew out there, and started working there <laughs> literally three weeks later. Oh, wow. What was the first, uh, yeah. what, what was the first one you worked on? Well, it's funny. I got hired when I interviewed... You know, I came in, I'm dressed in a suit, and, you know, later on they kind of razzed me about wearing a suit to the interview. <laughs> what, else, what else are you supposed to do? But um, they took me in, they showed me what I'd be working on, which was a Leisure Suit Larry platform game. Platform? Uh, and it was, yeah, platform game. Uh, Steve Nichols was, was one of the programmers. He was kind of a uh, wonder kind, or however you say it, very, very smart, intelligent uh, kid. I think he was only 19 at the time. Oh, wow. Uh, had had come up with a way to do parallax scrolling on PCs, which was kind of unprecedented back then. And so they, they were saying, hey, we have to do something with this, but let's do it with a franchise that, that already exists. So, uh, yeah, they had a Larry platform game. Uh, Mad scientist builds a what, what he calls a babe magnet, which is attracting women to the jungle to you know for him to kind of enslave. And it was up to Larry to rescue them for some reason. But that's what it was when I interviewed. By the time I started working there, three weeks later, it had changed altogether to um, political satire, totally unrelated to Larry. It was called Capital Punishment, as in as in the capital of the United States. Um, and Bill Clinton was president at the time, 
And so it was kind of uh, designed by the seat of our pants. You know, the the um, whitewater sample with this was going on. And, uh, you know, that translated into, hey, let's do a whitewater level where they're rafting down a river and they have to avoid obstacles as, you know, right-wing pundits are tossing them at them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like... It, and then, you know, we, we came up with various other things, a congressional shooting gallery as time went along, but it was pretty much an interactive political cartoon. But we were not, we weren't able to finish it on time or on budget. And, you know, they, after a few months, they probably wisely canceled it. And it was too timely. So, you know, by the time it was released, a lot of that stuff could have conceivably faded away already. I'm still kind of stuck thinking about the, the, uh, parallel or, or the kind of connection that was made from going from a Larry game to something like in the Bill Clinton area and just started thinking like, wow, Bill Bill Clinton was like uh, our leisure suit Larry as a president. It'd be interesting to see like a Larry game with Clinton in it. You'd probably get along yeah. wisely with him. <laughs> uh, love, love for sale. We had a, we had an animatronic Clinton uh, stand-up Oh comedian. my God, that's right. That's right. Oh, it hit me head a lot, but I do remember that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, speaking of love for sale, I'll throw another another kind of question at you, a bit, bit generic, but for, for fun of it. Speaking of your Sierra days, which obviously uh, listeners will be interested in, I'm sure, you know, it's probably beat to death. You might be borderline sick of talking about it. I'm not sure. But we you know, do love to hear it. And got the name classic, you know, in, in the whole title of the thing. Um, so some of the games that you, you worked on with Sierra, uh, what we got, King's Quest, um, seven and eight uh space quest six torrent's passage love for sale um of the games that you worked on at sierra what are you most proud of most fond of etc uh easily love for sale just because of the team environment that we kind of fostered at that time it was uh pretty much i think everyone pretty much agrees it's the funnest game they'd ever worked on um just, not just because it was you know kind of a raunchy comedy, but, um, I don't know, just because of the rapport we kind of developed together, uh, a lot of fun, lots of pranking and wisecracks, you know, we, <laughs> was, was there a lot know, of, a, uh, a, do these just Larry games require a lot of really fun research? Oh yeah. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, awesome. yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, Everybody knew to keep out of our area if they were going to be offended because <laughs> we would do things like bring in Playboy magazines for a quote unquote reference. <laughs> <laughs> this is and, for science, don't worry. Yes. Yeah, and, and you know we'd have to we'd have to actively discuss puzzle ideas and just jokes and things like that. So at any time you can walk in and be offended at something that's being said or shown. <laughs> So, do you have any any uh, standout stories or pranks or anything like that from that era? Uh, yeah. So it's funny because, I, as I mentioned uh, before, we were recording. Uh, I got a copy of Sean Mills' uh, manuscript, the Sierra book he's writing. Excellent book, by the way. Kind of a plug ahead of time. Uh, he mentioned the story I told him that kind of stands out in my mind, where uh, one of the other animators uh, had this cardboard, basically a big piece of cardboard that he would use to uh, kind of, kept it kind of behind his 
desk, and we had these big, like, uh, almost but not quite Disney-style animation tables. You know, you guys can Google for image search to get an idea of what it looked like. But, you know, they're tall, they're kind of upright. And he had a piece of cardboard that he would slide between it and the cubicle wall to kind of make himself a sliding door, you know? <laughs> and so what we would do, he would, he had some Playboy centerfolds on, on the inside so that when you would slide it open, it would be behind the desk. You wouldn't see it. But, you know, when it's closed, he'd be able to, you know, turn around and look at it for, you know, whatever reasons I don't want to contemplate. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just to see how many pixels. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, there were a few times when he was out to lunch that someone or another would flip that piece of cardboard over <laughs> and put it back behind his desk. So he would close it, and the centerfold would suddenly be on the outside. And then, you know, Mark Siebert or Al or somebody would be like, oh, Bill. And he'd turn around, what? Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> there was another time, uh, I was getting married at the time to my first wife, and uh, they decided to take me out to one of Seattle's many strip clubs, at the time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had our fun there, but a couple of the guys, uh, were flirting with a couple of strippers, and you know these were, these were guys who were attached at the time. And uh, joking around, they just started kind of flirting with him and inviting him out to lunch and all that good stuff. And and they said, yeah, okay, you know, blah blah blah. And they gave him their business cards, figuring, ah, they're just going to forget all about us. Well, no, the next day or within a couple of days, they showed up at lunchtime. So are you gonna you gonna take us out and feed us? <laughs> these, two, <laughs> these two very obvious strippers coming into Alicia Suit Larry development area. <laughs> did, did you work and, that into uh, a puzzle in the game? No, no. <laughs> but but uh, we were all taken aback. And of course, you know, the, the two guys were obviously obligated to go through with it. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, oh, whatever. Uh, so I don't know whatever ended up becoming that. <laughs> I, I can't help but wonder if, like, all them Playboy magazines could be, like, a write-off for Sierra. Like, well, we, we need to know, you know, just how many pixels go into a nipple, for example. This is important business. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I, I think there are far worse problems than to uh, have to take strippers out to lunch. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, the, the, the ironic thing about all this is that um, this was kind of like at the very beginning of, of where... Uh, sexual harassment kind of became a, a bigger deal. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's always been a big deal, right? But a bigger deal than it was. There's more aw more awareness of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you have at least in my, uh, in my very brief amount of research, you have at least one sort of on-screen appearance in King's Quest Eight. Uh, is that my gravestone? That is your gravestone, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the article I read, there was a little bit of an explanation for that, but I think I'd rather hear it from you. Uh, well, it was in essentially that King's Quest Eight had a very convoluted and unpleasant uh, development process, unfortunately. And a lot of people quit, at least, you know, in, in part because they kind of di dismantled the team a little bit at a certain point. And... Uh, some of us got assigned to other projects, and they kind of rejiggered the the game a little bit. And so, 
in that process, I shouldn't even say in that process, it was kind of all during the project, people were quitting uh, essentially because they didn't want to work on it. And <laughs> that's everyone's name or a lot of people's names who ended up in the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> they figured, okay, well, this is the King's Quest Cemetery of Doom or whatever. <laughs> These are all the people who left. <laughs> I don't even know if they got everybody. So did you leave or were you uh, reassigned or what happened with... Uh... I was reassigned at first and I uh, worked on a couple of games. And then they started rebuilding the team again, and I was set to go back to that. But the economy was doing great. A lot of companies in the area were hiring, and Sierra's new management was uh, instilling very little confidence in me that they'd last much longer. And so I kind of took an opportunity to go elsewhere. So you uh, so you weren't part of the whole uh, mass layoffs? No. Okay. Well, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have any other in-game appearances that you're aware of? I mean, I would insert myself into backgrounds in uh, Love for Sale. Where, where, would we, where would we find you in that one? Uh, where would you find me? I believe there's a scene where uh, Larry and several other people are sitting around with their backs turned to us, you know, uh, getting instructions for the contest that you're supposed to win during the game. And so those people are the pretty much the entire team. <laughs> so I'm in, I'm in <laughs> one of those. Oh, uh... There's also a scene in a room that's underneath a glass-bottomed swimming pool. And so uh, when you go up above, you see you know, a variety of people swimming in the pool. Some of them are obviously skinny dipping. Um, but if you go underneath it, you'll see a few members, including myself, skinny dipping. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the guy with a full frontal rug. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. I like it. you. You went the angle instead of you know a self-promoting one. It's like you know, I'd rather just do a full front yeah. row, like a, a second belly button. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've got uh, kind of a, just a, just a silly question for you. Uh, a, a would you rather? So I'm gonna throw it at you. Um, all right. So, since you worked on on the King's Quest and, and a, a little bit of, of Space Quest Six, from what I understand, uh, I'm gonna ask you. Um, would you rather live as King Graham or Roger Wilco? Now, keep in mind that Graham is a king, so that's lovely. Uh, but, but he lives before, like, electricity, and I imagine, like, a couple hundred years before the invent of toilet paper, so that sure. makes, like, you know, having it off kind of gross. Um, whereas Roger is a, a plumber, which is, you know, eh, but he gets to explore the galaxy. What's your pick? I would probably go with Roger uh, for the sole reason that, I mean, granted he gets into trouble and all that, but uh, Daventry seems to be a very troubled kingdom. <laughs> and as king, I, I would hope I'd be able to enjoy life, but it seems like, you know, I'm always having to walk around different lands, you know, presumably, you know, tens of, you know, or hundreds of miles away <laughs> to solve these problems. <laughs> With very little assistance. So I'd rather have all the new tech around me and just, you know, travel around and, you know, explore strange new worlds and go where no man has gone before. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like your style. You're like, I'm going to go with Space Quest because I don't like walking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. 
So on top of being an animator on video games and artist, of course, uh, you also have a couple of writing credits to your name. Oh, yeah. Uh, a couple books called Weird Washington and Weird Oregon that mm. I co-authored with uh, my friend Jeff Davis. Uh, and that came about because uh, I knew the editors who started the book series, and uh, they hit me up. Hey, would you like to... You're in Washington. Would you like to write a book on Washington? I said, sure. <laughs> And they said, okay, we'll give you the job, but make yourself available for Oregon, too, afterwards. So it's fun. Yeah, a lot, a lot of road tripping. It was fun. Really fun assignment. A lot of, a lot of research, a lot of road tripping. Uh, that's really cool. I wasn't sure if, if it was the, the same Albie Frazier when I, when I was doing my little oh, homework. How many uh, of us can there be? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but I thought it was fascinating you did them, and, and that's the first thing that came to my mind was like how cool the research must have been to you know just go to all corners of them areas and find really strange parts. And you know, I will say, you know, coming to America, uh, you know, the, those books are actually like really fun for me to look at. Um, I never made it to to Oregon or Seattle, not yet, so um, I didn't get to look at those particular. But I have at some point owned like weird New Jersey and things like that. Um, so I definitely want to pick them up, especially now that I know you did them. But yeah, so like you said, a lot of road tripping, just basically, you know, how did you kind of go about that? Like word of mouth, finding weird little spots. Well, I mean. Nothing we were writing about was, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say nothing, but much of it wasn't original. It, it had been covered in other books and websites and just sources in general, and we were able to track them down a lot of times that way and basically try to, try to find a new angle to cover them from, which I think we were successful at for the most part. Um, but... Once you embark on something like this, you you get word on a lot more things that haven't been covered or that are newer than, you know, too new to have been covered. And so that's how we came across the rest of it, pretty much. Uh, it was interesting. My writing partner, <laughs> after after we'd written the two books, he decided that he was going to try uh, promoting himself for, like, uh, PowerPoint presentations at different colleges about... Uh, True crime, morbid topics, ghosts. He's uh he's like a paranormal investigator. Although I think he approaches it more from the folkloric side rather than hard belief. So he figured, hey, you know, I'll I'll try to hire myself out for presentations on this stuff. And he decided to do the Lizzie Borden, the whole Lizzie Borden story. Are you guys familiar with that? Yeah, uh, v vaguely, but I know the general premise: axe murderer. Yeah, yeah, killed her parents. Uh, so the house is still standing in Massachusetts. It's a bed and breakfast and a tourist attraction for the murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds cozy. Um, yeah. So he goes there and he was talking to the owners and explaining, you know, who he is and what he's doing. And he says, apparently somebody recognized my name from Sierra <laughs> at the Lizzie Borden house. One of the owner, one of the owner kids or somebody. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't heavily promoted. I wasn't a designer or any kind of lead <laughs> other than my name being in the credits. Yeah, not sure if that's impressive research or just kind of borderline creepy stalking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so any particular favorite games that you worked on after your time at Sierra? I worked on a melee brawler called Digimon Rumble Arena 2. Uh, I believe past, not past the shelf life, but pretty close to the end of the shelf life of Digimon, at least in the West. 
Um, and that really stuck out in my in my mind because it was uh, we we just took a lot of care. The company I was at at the time was trying to really uh, amp up its production of Japanese style games, and so this was our first attempt at a you know a game with Japanese properties, and we wanted to get it right. And uh, our project manager at the time was a guy who I uh, was kind of a semi-high up guy at Nintendo or had been and he came over to help us with that and uh, he had very high standards and expectations and uh, you know I'm, I'm kind of glad he kept us to them because we were able to put out a game that was uh, I don't want to say it's better than it should have been but <laughs> <laughs> but it was certainly a lot better than the game that came before it right that series Mm. Which was done elsewhere, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> point that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so even before you started working at Sierra, uh, did did you grow up on playing the Sierra games? Were you Ironically, no. Oh, okay. Ironically, no. Although the first media game I saw, uh, you know, being on CD-ROM was King's Quest VI, mm -hmm. because my my cousin got you know a high end. Um. 48625 I think 46 PC with uh, 25 megahertz mm -hmm. <laughs> real workhorse back in the day <laughs> oh yeah you know he got it to replace his uh, whopping Commodore 128 but uh, it came packaged with a bunch of stuff among it King's Quest 6 and I was kind of blown away that you know you could play this game and hear characters voices and it was only <laughs> I think it was only about two years later that I found myself interviewing at Sierra. I would have never thought. <laughs> yeah, you ended up working on King's Quest games themselves. It's, it's mental. I love it. Mm -hmm. So did you have any uh, video game inspirations uh, go going into Sierra? Any things that particularly are, you know, uh, personal favorites of yours that you kind of really, that really inspired you? Actually, I did. I was a big fan of the Cinemaware games, which I always played on a Commodore 64, uh, particularly, particularly the Three Stooges and Rocket Ranger. Although I don't think I've ever beaten either of those. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with a Commodore 64, so I had a lot of those games. Um, a lot of arcade translations and uh, longer form games, strategy-wise, would be uh, Heart of Africa and the uh, Temple of Apshai trilogy. I, I did, uh, you know, I, I kind of made it sound earlier like I didn't really have any experience with RPGs, but kind of had minimal experience with some of the older Commodore stuff. Um, some of the Infocom text adventures I enjoyed. I mean, it was such a variety. I kind of tried a little bit of everything. I, I wanted to ask you, um, the difference between 2D and 3D animation, do you, do you have a preference? I would just imagine it's such a huge leap, you know, visually to go from 2D to 3D. Do, do you have a preference? Was it really difficult to transition? Uh, for me, it was a challenge. I don't know if I would say it difficult, per se. It took me a while to get it looking the way I felt comfortable with, you know, comfortable with it. Um... Yeah, I mean, I learned, obviously, and then 3D was all on-the-job training. Right. Um, and now, you know, kind of when you learn animation, and the 2D just becomes a, a background to, hey, you know, here's, here's a bunch of principles that people use in animation 
try them out by hand before we move you, move you to doing them in 3D. I mean, I, I tend to look at 3D as pretty much digital puppetry, and it, you know, it kind of comes with its own challenges. It takes, uh, I shouldn't say it takes more practice, but it takes uh, definitely more technical practice to achieve. But there's a lot of crossover, obviously, and you know, I, I believe I had a more of a frustrating time transitioning to 3D than learning 2D to begin with. Uh, can you tell us about what you're working on right now, your current project? Oh, right now, um, as you know, uh, we finished up Hero U, Rogue to Redemption. I'm working on the follow-up game, Summer Days, which is uh, it's kind of an interim game between uh, Rogue to Redemption and Wizard's Way, which is like the direct follow-up. Uh, it's going to be an interactive fiction-based story or based game. Uh, we have an awesome musician we just hired on, by the way. <laughs> really, really, I heard he was a right knob. I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> My friend Roberta speaks very highly of him. All right, well, if she but, does, uh, then, it's, yeah, then it's valid. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but, for, uh, for the yeah, benefit I, of I, our audience, would you like to, would you care to elaborate on this? Uh, yeah, all right. For the benefit of the audience, I've been very lucky enough, blessed, honoured, etc., to to be uh, hired on to do the composition, do the score for that uh, for Summer Days. So we're actually working with with Al, and I'm um, very very excited, very honoured, and still in a bit of shock. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've been designing characters. Um, I've been designing characters, and JP Selwood's been designing backgrounds. He's actually a pretty brilliant artist. Um, and uh, a lot of collaboration with Lori in particular, which I thoroughly enjoy. And her mind seems to be at so many places at the same time, but still kind of cohesive between all of them and kind of, you know, compartmentalized that there's order in everything. You know, she might say, oh, that's just an illusion of some kind, but uh, <laughs> it's just, it's but it's it's been amazing. She'll say one thing, and it'll kind of lead into this whole other train of thought where she can think of, like, say, a background story for a character on the fly, and they're all good ideas. Well, I'm definitely feeling left out now. I need to find a way to uh, uh, get a job on the next game, too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, So I'll have some more to talk to you guys about. But um, uh, for now, uh, do you have any shout-outs or plugs that you'd like to give? Yeah, I went to Redbubble. I figured, hey, a lot of people are doing this. Why not me? <laughs> so I'm I'm taking uh, Sierra-inspired characters because obviously I don't hold the copyrights to the real ones, but mm -hmm. Sierra-inspired characters uh, on T-shirts and mugs and what else? All sorts of things. Notebooks. <laughs> mm -hmm. Phone cases. Um and they're all there on Redbubble. Um, I wish I had the direct link to recite, but Redbubble's kind of convoluted. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. But uh, what, what is your uh, what is your store? Yep. Like, what would we search for? Oh, uh, Botaperna Design, B O T A P E R N A Design, all one word. Um, but really, I mean. I guess um, the better way of, I guess, finding it would be following links in the Classic Gamers Guild. In addition to the Redbubble, I've just, well, today, in fact, uh, as of this recording, 
offered up uh, some original art, some, well, original art commissions, where, you know, would you like an original drawing of a character I worked on at Sierra? Well, hey, let me make one for you. <laughs> oh, nice. Here's how you can go about getting one. I'd like to see about having you draw me like a, a French lady. Uh, maybe on a chaise lounge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, but for, for everyone, everyone, contact Al. Find him on Facebook. Find him on the Guild. We'll put uh, a comment, uh, a link in the comments to this podcast to to his store, so you can find it easily as well. Um, oh, thank but yeah, you. Yeah, do treat treat yourselves out there and, and uh, get right on there. Get him to to draw some original art for you. That's really really unique. All right, Al. Uh, any last words just before we call this a wrap? Yeah, Rick. Put on some pants. <laughs> you can't make me. <laughs> you know what? He can draw you wearing pants, though, and you'll have to live with that. Ah, darn it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it's more interesting characters design if I don't, though. Yeah, that's true. Eh? <laughs> as long as it's got that big bush with the second belly button. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it, it, it's a form of branding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's how you tell me apart from the others that's right yeah. <laughs> how to stand out in a crowd <laughs> copyright trademark <laughs> <laughs> patent pending uh, well thank you very much for joining us Al. it was a great pleasure to have you on the show oh thanks for having me man I really I had fun well that's really good to hear I, I often worry about that when it comes to having guests on <laughs> Yeah, with, yeah. Thank you, mate. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure, and looking forward to, to talking to you uh, on on all them other things. And you're obviously welcome back here anytime. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for your hospitality. All right, mate. Well, I hope right. that everyone out there has a lovely night or day or whatever. Uh, good time stuck in traffic, whatever you're doing. I hope you enjoy it, and uh, you know, don't do a murder. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.